Welcome to episode 286 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 286 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Melanie, how are you? Good. How about you? You know, I we were just commiserating about this, but when your thyroid medication gets changed, it can sometimes be a little bit of a bumpy ride. So I'm I'm feeling like I need to prop up my eyes with toothpicks today. I've been on the bus, the same bus that you've been on with trying all different forms of thyroid medication. It's just so complicated because there's so many opinions and there's so many options and it can be hard to really find what works for you. Totally. And I think if anyone that has an underactive thyroid that's listening... I know you understand. (laughs) 
You, I know you understand. So I, I'm trying to just wait it out. That's what my functional medicine doc just has been encouraging me to wait it out another week and get my labs checked. And goodness, I feel like I need like a power injection in the afternoon because I'm, you know, I feel like I need a nap. And who has time for that every day? Well, I will say this actually made me think about this. Sort of recently, I was in a period where I was feeling like I needed a nap every day. And I just realized, you know how you don't really notice when the negative things are gone? I just feel like when I'm experiencing something negative, once it actually goes away, I don't normally realize it. So I just realized, oh, I haven't been needing a nap every day. And I think the difference is when I got sick a few weeks ago and started really high dosing the NMN, I stayed on the NMN every day and a higher dose. And I, I don't need naps anymore. I think that's what it is. I don't know what else it would be. Although I have realized I feel a little bit more wired at night as well. So maybe I'm too high dosing. So that's a benefit. I didn't used to be a nap person. And then I was, and now I'm not. How about you? No, I mean, every once in a while I might need it, but I generally, you know, power through my day. And and on a lot of levels, the fact that I consistently every single day I'm this tired, the only variable that's changed is the thyroid medicine. And I and I knew this would happen because what typically happens is I get insomnia and then I have like a crash in the afternoon. And so that has been a consistent pattern, even though they've increased my T4, they lowered my T3. And my functional medicine doc said, and I quote, you have the most interesting thyroid panel I've ever seen. And I said, I don't want to be interesting. I just want to be normal. (laughs) So I'm trusting the process. And he's absolutely brilliant and one of the smartest physicians I've ever met. So I am trusting in the process. But in between, I will need naps in order to function. Do you think he'll increase your T3? He might. I think it's interesting. I'm supposed to have lab. So he wanted labs drawn two weeks after I started the medication. So I've already got that appointment set up. And I, I knew as soon as I start, I knew that there would be this bumpy, this has been the pattern every single time they've changed my medications. In fact, I thought for a moment, because I keep all my old medicines just to show, to like describe to people, like, I'm not kidding. I really have been on like 10 different prescriptions in the past two years. And it's a bag of thyroid medicine. And my husband was like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know. It's like a trophy. I'm keeping this for posterity's sake. I'm not sure. But to really demonstrate, like, this is what people go through. And I'm a clinician, and we still haven't gotten it right. So it goes on to just suggest that many people listening are probably struggling with the same thing. So that's why I wanted to share, like, to be transparent and say, yes, I'm a clinician, but yes, I'm still struggling to get the right combination of medications. I don't love that you're experiencing that, but <laughs> but I love that that's your approach. And yeah, some good resources for listeners. Have you interviewed Elle Russ? I have Elle and Eric Balcavage. Balcavage, sorry, I just mangled his last name. He's wonderful. He does a great Thyroid Thursday on Instagram. So does a lot of teaching. I think he's a great resource. And we both have had Alan Christensen on, but, but I would say Eric does a lot of didactic teaching as a clinician, which I love. And then L is all about empowerment, which is fantastic. Yeah. And Dr. Alan Christensen, who you just mentioned, it's funny when I first met him, I was really struggling with my own thyroid panels. He is the nicest person ever. Cause I literally just met him and we've been vaguely emailing about actually about intermittent fasting stuff. We were debating the literature on it. I guess at some point my own thyroid issues came up and he was so nice. Like at one point he was like, well, send me your labs to look at. I sent them to him 
And he called me. He was like, I have to talk to you about this. <laughs> he was like, he was like, we have to get this fixed now. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you're the nicest person ever. So he has a book called The Thyroid Reset Diet. He was actually my first episode of the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Was he really? You know, it's funny. So fast facts. Alan was part of my mastermind when I joined it. And I recall the very first time I met him in person, I was sitting next to him at a lunch and I was trying to be really cool. Because sometimes when you meet these people that you've been following them for years, and then you're, you know, socially around them, all I say to myself is just be cool. He's a normal guy. And he is as nice as nice could be. I just think Midwesterners in general are just such nice down to earth human beings. And he really is as nice as he appears to be and very kind of quiet and introverted and I really enjoyed the time that I that I had with him, but I think he's a great resource. Another funny thing to share with you is that the podcast team that I had at the time that I recorded a podcast with him about his new book, about iodine, the podcast title was Intermittent Fasting and Thyroid Health. And I just about had a minor heart attack because he's not a big fan of intermittent fasting. And I literally was like, you cannot put that out. <laughs> you cannot do that. And then I had to explain the context. I was like, that is absolutely the worst title you could ever come up with. It's funny. The way I met him actually was, I don't know if it was him or or it was probably his publisher or publicist or somebody. They pitched him to come on this show and it was for his metabolic reset diet. And literally at that time, he literally had a video on YouTube about like, it was basically deconstructing intermittent fasting. I wanted to engage with him, but Jen was not too excited about the idea. And so that's when I started talking to him via email and started like discussing the studies. And he actually took down the video, I think, after because we talked about it some more. And I think he realized there was a slightly more nuanced perspective on that specific content that he had created. And I just thought that was so impressive. But yeah, no, I love his work. He has the thyroid reset diet, the adrenal reset diet. What's the book on iodine called? No, that's the thyroid reset diet. Yes. I'm still haunted by that. I still don't know what I think about it. I, I don't agree. Politely, I don't agree. I need to reread it because it's interesting because it's so contrary. It's not like it's slightly different than the popular idea. So basically for listeners, a lot of people in the functional health world and I guess non-functional as well, advocate needing more iodine to help thyroid and just health in general. And a majority of the book is about how iodine is actually the issue and we actually need to be on a like a low iodine diet. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's important to entertain the possibility that there may be aspects to that argument that are applicable, but I don't necessarily agree, but I don't have enough background. I'm not an iodine specialist, but I do ask my functional medicine friends. And and I would say iodine is a controversial issue because you have people like Brownstein who is pro-iodine and wrote the book, The Iodine Crisis. And then you have other doctors that feel differently. And so we have to agree to disagree. And I don't feel like I know enough to feel like I could take a stand on it. I just, I'm in a state of flux. So reading his book, it's very convincing. And I do think there's probably a lot to maybe the difference between people who are eating a conventional diet. So they're getting iodized salt compared to people who might not be having conventional salt. And so not having that source, I do wonder what role that plays. 
I do know iodine. I know I've shared this on the show before. I don't know if I've told you before. It's the only supplement that I experimented with that I had such a obvious, scary reaction that I was like, I'm never taking this ever again. My my eyes literally turned bloodshot red. Really? Yeah. It was kind of frightening. <laughs> I remember I couldn't even, I was like, I can't, I don't even know if I can go to work. It was when I was still waiting tables. So yeah, so we will put links in the show notes to the interviews we have had with all of these individuals. One little announcement I do want to share with listeners. By the time this comes out, I feel bad because I think that this special will have already ended, but the concept is still available, which is all the more reason you need to be on my email list for my Avalon X supplements, which is avalonx.us slash email list. And also you can actually get text updates and a 20% off one-time code. I'm so excited. I set up text updates. If you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318, and I'm just going to emphasize for clarity, Cynthia, have you ever set up a text service? I have not. It's really funny because I say text Avalon X. All of the iterations I get of people texting that it's not Avalon X. Like people will text like Avalons or like give me the code or all these things. And I'm like, no, you have to text just just the word Avalon X. So it's kind of like a, um, I don't know. It's just really funny to see all the messages. So that's A-V-A-L-O-N-X to 877-861-8318. And if you were on that list, you would have known that we launched Magnesium Subscriptions and we actually had a two-week window where you could get grandfathered in for life at a 25% discount, which is the largest discount we should technically probably ever do. And you get it for life as long as you stay on the subscription, which you can also pause. So that's amazing. If you didn't snag the 25%, you can still get a subscription now at 15%. So that's an option. Anything else from you, Cynthia? I am hopeful that we will finalize a package for the creatine so that I can get a date that this will be available. That is, I've got like my fingers crossed. I'm very, I'm so excited for you then someday you'll have subscriptions on that as well, probably. Yes, you'll be able to tell me all about text options too. That's the thing I've learned is be very clear in what people text to you. Keep it simple. It is simple, but people just extrapolate and text all the things. And I'm like, no, that is not that is not what it says. This is not direct access to Melanie 24-7. It's not what it says. Shall we jump into everything for today? Absolutely. So to start things off, we have a question from Ashley and the subject is struggling with consistency. And Ashley says, hi, I have been a fan and I've listened to your podcast from the start, which means I started IF back in April of 2017. I wish I could say I have done IF every single day since then, but no, it has been the struggle bus for me to do it consistently. Typically since 2017, I IF on average four to five days a week. Some weeks are better than others when I can complete six to seven days of IF, where other weeks are harder one to two days. My window varies from 16 hours to 24 hours. Really, at this point, I have been in maintenance at times losing and gaining five pounds. Now that I'm approaching my third year of IF, I've hit a roadblock. In the mornings, I find myself so hungry. I usually close my window at 7 p.m. the night before. 
Having dinner with my husband is very important to me, which is why I don't want to break my fast in the morning. It seems lately I can only make it to 12 hours before caving on eating something some days. What I'm getting at is, do you all have tips or advice for getting through these humps? Have you ever experienced it before? I'm disappointed in myself with the inconsistency I've done with fasting over the past couple of years, which I know leads to not getting the best results. I do love the health benefits of IF and never regret it when I do fast for at least 16. It's just some days I find myself starving and then I cave. Any recommendations you have, I would appreciate so much. Thank you. Well, Ashley, I I don't know how old you are, so I'm going to just keep this kind of a broad response. When a woman is telling me she really struggles to get to 12, 13, 14 hours, I think you need to look at your macros. Are you getting enough protein? Are the meals that you're consuming in that feeding window, are they sufficient enough calorically to be able to fuel your body? Where are you on your menstrual cycle? So we know the follicular phase from the day you start bleeding up until before ovulation, is a time that you can get away with longer fasts. And then as you transition to the luteal phase, as you're getting closer to when you're going to get your menstrual cycle, I generally recommend women fast no more than 12 or 13 hours. So I don't know if you're in a premenstrual situation in the end stage of luteal phase, and that's why you're struggling. I would really dig into if you're feeling like you're a little bit weight loss resistant, how's your sleep? How are you managing your stress? Are you getting up macros in? Are you over-exercising. So there's a lot of variables that aren't entirely clear. And I, I just start to see a lot of women that get into these situations where they're, they start to feel like they're not seeing the results. So they restrict more. They're just not feeling their bodies. And I, I get concerned that, you know, your body may in response to not feeling like it's getting enough food in is, is really pushing the envelope. And if you're that hungry, I would definitely recommend breaking your fast, but also understanding that there are things you can do that could potentiate your fast, but I just feel like I need more information to be to be more specific than I already have been. How about you, Melanie? Yeah, I thought that was great. I love how comprehensive that there are so many potential factors going on. I would just add to it that I think a lot of people, when they're having issues with, and this is kind of what you're talking about, but a lot of people, when they have issues with finding the fasting hours that work for them. They think the answer is in the fasting hours, like, you know, adjusting when they're fasting. But I personally find that looking at the food intake side of things can often be potentially just as helpful or more helpful than that, especially when people send in questions, because we have kind of a pattern of people who send in questions. So some people when they're discussing fasting and their issues, they also paint a very clear picture of what they're eating. Some people don't mention it at all. Like it doesn't even come up in the question like this one. And I don't know that this is the case, but that says to me that it's possible that there's not as much of a focus on what you're eating as there could be that would possibly really, really help. So making sure that you're getting adequate protein in your eating window, which we have a question about protein coming up. And for some people, it's looking at the macros that you're eating can actually be super helpful for satiety levels. So some people do better with the lower carb approach, and that's what really helps them tap into fat burning and not be hungry. Some people do better with a higher carb approach, and actually those carbs are what keep them satiated. So I would definitely look at what you're eating, there's a lot of potential to find something there in addition to all of the other amazing things that Cynthia brought up. 
No, it's such good points. I, I think we have to look at things comprehensively when a strategy is not working and it's okay to take a break from fasting. That's the other thing that I don't hear enough people talking about that there are times and cycles in our lives when fasting really does well for us and and times when it does not. And it's okay to take a break. If you feel like your body's really communicating that it's not working, there are definitely ways around that. Yes, exactly. Especially tying into, I was just looking at the part where she's talking about how it's like some weeks that are good and some weeks that are harder. And I really, really wonder, like you were talking about with the menstrual cycle, if it does align that way. I think oftentimes people don't with the menstrual cycle, they don't make the connection that there is that connection going on there. Um, Yep. Absolutely. So, hi friends. One of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space. You don't have to worry about keeping it frozen. And then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones and USDA organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms, no antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty and the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use. They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to melanieavalon.com broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out and we'll put all this information in the show notes. Alrighty, shall we go into our next question? Absolutely. So this question is from Monica and the subject is third time is a charm. I've listened to your whole podcast. I love all the information. It has seriously been so helpful in my fasting journey. Fasting has helped me overcome so much, major hormone imbalances and an obsession over food that is totally mellowed out with the control I feel with fasting. It's wonderful and truly life-changing. My question is something I never really thought could be an issue, but I found an article that said otherwise. Can a diet focused primarily around protein contribute to insulin resistance? 
I follow Dr. Ted Naiman, who's a huge fan of protein over pretty much all else. But if you're constantly getting the spike in insulin from protein, couldn't that have the same effect on our tolerance of insulin as sugar does? For example, a diet low carb, high protein, low to moderate fat. Would love to hear your thoughts and research. Love you guys. Seriously, keep it up. Okay, Monica, thank you so much for your question. Really, I I got so excited <laughs> about researching this question and I did a lot of research. So I'm so excited to talk about this. So yes, protein does release insulin. The difference between how it releases insulin compared to carbohydrates, for example, so it varies. So I was looking at a lot of different literature and there are charts on different foods and insulin release. And some charts will say, for example, that beef releases more insulin than carbs. But then something else I was looking at was saying that protein requires about half of the insulin of carbs. So it seems to be all over the place. But the point is they both do release insulin in substantial amounts compared to fat, which is very, very minimal. The difference with protein is it also releases a hormone called glucagon. And you can kind of think of glucagon as the counter-regulatory hormone to insulin. So insulin reduces blood sugar, puts sugar into storage Glucagon actually spurs the liver to release glucose into the bloodstream. So in theory, let's say you're just eating protein and you are non-diabetic and you are good with your insulin regulation in general. In theory, you would eat some protein and because you're not eating carbs with it, this is like in my example, the insulin would lower your blood sugar actually. And then glucagon would actually encourage your liver to release glucose. And so then you just have like a straight line response and you wouldn't really have those dips and swings. All of that said, there can be some issues potentially with one, the fact that protein does release insulin. So if we are eating a lot of protein constantly, we could be getting, it could potentially encourage insulin resistance from all that insulin release especially in the context of if you're eating a mixed diet and you're also getting insulin release from carbs and things like that. And then releasing the glucagon can actually also potentially be a problem because now not only are we releasing insulin to store carbs that we might be eating with the meal, but we're also potentially releasing glucose from the liver, which might create a longer term blood sugar insulin issue. On top of that, the constant release of protein stimulates something called mTOR, which actually, it's like a growth signal in the body. And there are studies on mTOR and insulin sensitivity and too much stimulation of mTOR constantly might also encourage insulin resistance. And then on top of that, there's a lot of studies on BCAAs. So those are branched chain amino acids. There's some of the potential amino acids that we can get from protein. And studies are pretty consistent that high levels of those in the blood tend to correlate to insulin resistance. The, the problem is we don't know if it's chicken or egg. So we don't know if high BCAAs in the blood cause insulin resistance or if when you are insulin resistant, your body is unable to properly get those BCAAs out of the blood. So, And the studies are very conflicting and inconclusive on the BCAAs. So I found a very amazing study that literally 
asks or looks at this question that Monica had. So it's from July 2014, and it's called High Dietary Protein Intake, Reducing or Eliciting Insulin Resistance? Question mark. And it looked at all of the studies to date. So again, it's a little bit older of a study, 2014. But it was looking at the studies to date that all looked at high protein intakes in different situations and how did it affect insulin resistance and glucose control in the subjects. And so I actually, because there's a lot, it's a very long article. I actually went through and counted because they didn't really give like a graph. So I just went through and counted what they actually found. So I'm going to tell you because I find it very telling. So in studies of healthy people who are not obese, who are not losing weight. So this is a short-term energy-balanced high-protein diet. So basically just going on a high-protein diet for the short-term, not calorie-restricted, not losing weight. Three of the studies found that when they compared that to a normal diet, there was no effect on insulin resistance. So we didn't see a negative effect there. And then one study found a benefit. So that's favorable. The second category was people who are overweight also doing the same thing. So short-term, they're eating a high-protein diet, but they are not losing weight. So one of the studies found that when they made the protein high diet with whey protein, that there was a benefit. And when I say a benefit, I'm talking about on insulin resistance. One study found that there was no change. So there wasn't any difference. One study found when they used casein and whey, that there was no change. Another study was six weeks. It was high protein and the protein was from legumes and whey. And they found that it actually, the high protein decreased insulin sensitivity, but then it actually normalized the longer the people were on it. Another study in diabetics with that setup found that the high protein improved insulin sensitivity. So the conclusion was that it's inconclusive. Then they looked at people who were on short-term diets where they were calorie restricted and high protein and losing weight. And so in those, well, they started off by saying that most weight loss diets leading to weight loss increase insulin resistance. So if you're on a high protein diet and you lose weight, you're probably going to see a benefit in insulin sensitivity, but it's hard to know if it's from the protein or if it's from the weight loss. So they found that two studies compared high protein diets to other calorie restricted diets for weight loss and the high protein diets had more of a benefit. One study found comparing it to a control, so not to a calorie restricted diet, it found a benefit. One study found that the high protein diet did not have as beneficial of an effect on HOMA IR, which is a good marker of insulin sensitivity, but it did have a better effect on beta cell function in the pancreas. So that's a little bit confusing. And then two studies found that it was the same benefit. And then one study found that it was looking at high protein versus high carb in a calorie restricted situation. And the high carb was superior. Last category, I'm almost done. And then the section looking at long-term intake of high protein diets. One study looked at six months of people who were healthy on high protein diets. And they found that those on the higher protein diets had higher insulin resistance and more glucose issues. A collection of observational studies on diabetes found that high protein diets led to more issues. But then the nurse's health study looked at low carb, high protein diets, and they did not find those issues. 
And then they actually did find that long-term intake of high protein from vegetable protein actually benefited insulin resistance. And then there was another meta-analysis that they referenced, and that looked at 15 randomized controlled trials of more than 12 months on the long-term effects of diets high in protein, and it showed neither a positive nor a negative effect on glycemic control compared to diets low in protein in both healthy and insulin-resistant subjects. Okay, sorry that that was so much information, but basically there's been a lot of studies looking at this issue Like I just went through all of those, the effects seem to be pretty mixed. It's interesting because the study I was referencing, so they concluded that high-protein diets and insulin action are not univocal, which means unambiguous. So basically, it is ambiguous. And that insulin sensitivity seems to have a beneficial effect in high-protein diets when people are overweight or insulin resistant and they are losing weight in the short term. Having a high-protein diet doesn't seem to really affect insulin action, but in the long term, there might be a, or they said it seems to be deleterious when the intake is prolonged and that this kind of goes along with seeing high plasma BCAA levels in the blood like I was talking about. Their ultimate conclusion is that in the long term, increased insulin secretion and consequent hyperinsulinemia might lead to reduced hepatic insulin sensitivity Increased hepatic glucose output results in a decreased glucose control, although a direct effect in insulin action and insulin-sensitive tissues can also have a role. My thoughts stepping away from all of this is that, yes, if you are doing high protein, well, especially if you're doing high protein in the context of a energy toxic diet, so a diet with too much energy in the long term, I think it definitely can encourage an issue, contribute to an issue. If you're eating protein constantly, like 24-7, it could have those issues with mTOR. It could have basically all these issues. In the context of weight loss, I don't think most people would need to worry about this at all. And maintenance as well, I'm not sure, but I do feel like with people who are doing intermittent fasting, we're getting that period during the fast of low insulin. We're getting that period of low mTOR. I think it's crucial that we get adequate, if not high protein, when we do eat. So basically, I really think that the issue here is energy toxicity, not protein completely. That was a really long answer. Cynthia, do you have thoughts? No, I I, I am in awe of all of the research that you did. I My clinical context, just thinking thoughtfully about this question, is... I'm 100% in agreement that the energy toxicity, meaning you're eating too much food, is really the issue. And when we look at the bulk of the population, we know 92, 93% is metabolically inflexible and unhealthy. It is likely not too much protein that's the issue. It's that overall, there's just too much caloric or the macros are imbalanced. It's overwhelming the body's storage sites and... It is less about protein and more about all of the other factors. You know, most people, perhaps not our listeners, but most individuals here in the United States are drinking caloric beverages all day long. They are eating anywhere from six to 10 times a day. And when you're really looking at the degree of meal frequency the average American is doing, average westernized person combined with those beverages, I think that is a a greater issue. And and for them, if they suddenly go high protein and they're still 
you know, they still have all these other behaviors that I've kind of identified, then that can become a larger issue. And it's interesting, Ted Naiman, I've interviewed, and I'm very aligned with him on many, many things. And he has this amazing book that is only an electronic book, which means I don't own it because I like having physical books for most of my things that I want to reference. But he posts a lot of fantastic content on Twitter and YouTube. And it's a great resource. And he talks about you know, how a certain amount of protein and fats will shut that satiety, you know, you'll, you'll hit those satiety hormones that you just physically can't consume more food. And I think that's an important distinction along with everything else that you said, but I'm so grateful you did all that amazing research. I'm just going to speak to it as a clinician. And I think it has everything to do with an overconsumption of, of calories in general that is creating this kind of toxicity and this degree of lack of metabolic flexibility and insulin resistance. Yeah. What you just said is basically exactly how I feel. And, and I think the nuance as well is that, so say we are in a energy toxicity situation on a low protein diet. So the energy toxicity is primarily coming from carbs and fat just stepping aside, like in general, energy toxicity is, I think, the issue. <laughs> if you have low protein, the factor that you don't have going on in that situation is that you're not getting that that glucagon stimulation that would be kind of prompting the liver to be constantly also releasing glucose from the liver, which would be further exacerbating issues, as well as the potential buildup of those amino acids in the bloodstream compared to when you do have the protein, you've got that secondary issue going on. And I did want to throw in because I I left out one other thing because that was 2014. So there was actually a 2020 meta-analysis and it looked at 12 articles with 13 studies, including patients with diabetes. And they actually concluded that a high-protein diet does not significantly improve glycemic control and blood pressure. They didn't say that it hurt it. They just said it doesn't improve it, but it can lower LDL, TC, TG, and HOMA IR levels in patients with type 2 diabetes. Further studies are needed to clarify the effects of high-protein diet on glycemic control, insulin resistance, and blood pressure control in type 2 diabetes. So I just want to throw that one in there because I left it out, but I'm glad you brought up Ted Naiman. I love him. We can put links to the episodes that we've had with him. I also really love Marty Kendall, and he had a, um, a really good article on the glucagon aspect of this that I was reading, and he actually referenced Ted Naiman in that study as well. All that to say, I agree with, like what you just said is what I agree with, that I think the issue is the energy toxicity. No, it definitely makes sense. Okay. I don't know if Monica expected that long of an answer. (laughs) All right. So we have a question from Jessica and the subject is menopause, HRT, et cetera. Jessica says, hi, I love this podcast and I have learned so much about IF. My doctor advised me to start IF a month ago when she put me on HRT. I'm 37 and still breastfeeding my daughter, H1, but I'm also postmenopausal as my ovaries were removed in December. My doctor advised HRT because my estrogen was unsurprisingly very low and my DHEA and testosterone were very high. I've been doing IF starting at 16.8 a month ago and now usually doing 18.6 and sometimes 24. I have not lost a single pound. My clothes do not fit differently. I am at my highest weight ever and getting so discouraged every time I step on the scale. 
I have now been on low doses of bioidentical estrogen and progesterone for a month while doing IF, and although I feel some benefits, it's helped some digestive issues, I need the scale to move in order to feel like my health is improving. Losing even a few pounds would give me hope, but it is just not happening. How long do I stick with this before it's time to admit it is not working for me? I'm also a vegetarian, but I sometimes eat the occasional fish. I'm reading that the research on IF for women is mixed and it may have negative consequences for postmenopausal women. Is it possible this just isn't for me? I hope that's not the case because this is the only diet I've ever tried that I felt was sustainable. Thanks in advance. Keep up the good work. Oh, Jessica, you have a lot going on. Oh my goodness. So you're still a very young woman and we know women that have their ovaries removed before the age of 42 are at greater risk for developing cognitive issues. So I'm grateful that your doctor is being very proactive and considering hormone replacement therapy. My concern is, and I'm just going to start from the top, I'm not in agreement with women breastfeeding or being pregnant and fasting. You know, your body is, is you're wanting to lose fat, but your body is still feeding a baby. And I'm sure if she's one, she's probably eating a lot of solids. And so her breastfeeding might be brief and just a few times a day, but just something to think about in the position that you're in, you're giving your body mixed signals. You want it to lose fat, but you still want to be able to sustain being able to breastfeed. And and I find for most women while they're breastfeeding, it's harder for them to lose body fat. So that's number one. Since you're so young, I'm, I'm curious to know why your ovaries were removed at such a young age, because that's, that's very significant. You're mentioning that your testosterone was high. The question is why? Did you have polycystic ovarian syndrome? You know, when I start thinking about the reasons why women can have high testosterone, that's almost always the first thing I think about um, you know, does your husband take supplemental testosterone? Probably not because you're both very young, but you can sometimes get exogenous exposure that way. Just in, in thinking about the bioidentical hormones, it, it could be a combination of too much stress on the body, breastfeeding, fasting, you know, going into menopause is a, a big adjustment and you have surgical menopause, meaning the average age of, of a woman in the United States to go through menopause is 51. You're 37, so you're very, very young. And so, you know, from my perspective, it's trying to kind of get a sense from what you shared as to what could be going on. The other thing that I get concerned about is most vegetarians in my clinical experience consume too many carbohydrates, not enough protein. And you really have to work at that very diligently. If you're eating very limited animal-based protein, hopefully you're eating some eggs, which will make that easier. But the challenge is if you're trying to fuel weight loss and you're vegetarian is that you're very likely over-consuming carbohydrates. And then you're also breastfeeding and your body needs a little bit of extra fuel to be able to make that happen. So I wrote a whole book about women and fasting. And so I, I generally will, will suggest the women check that out. There is research on postmenopausal women. And, and I find the women that generally do the best are the women who have stable hormones, meaning, you know, when you're no longer menstruating, your hormone levels are stable, much more stable day to day, week to week than a woman who's still in peak fertile years, or even a perimenopausal woman. There's a lot of good research that women can do very well in, in menopause with intermittent fasting, provided that they're sleeping, high quality sleep, they're managing their stress. And as a new mom, it's not unstressful to have a little baby at home and then stressing about trying to lose weight. I mean, those are two big things. You know, eating anti-inflammatory nutrition, 
and really thinking about, you know, things that fuel insulin sensitivity. And I think about walking after a meal and lifting weights and things like that. So there, there's a lot to unpack here. I, I would give it more time. If you're breastfeeding, you need to give yourself some time. I do find, I used to always say six months was always that time period that I felt like most of my patients got to a point where they were starting to see some weight loss 12 to 18 months. And if you're still breastfeeding, it's going to make it a whole lot harder to lose weight. So please give yourself some grace. Make sure you're getting your hormones tested. Make sure you've got a Dutch as well as serum blood labs. I think that would be very helpful. And the other question that dovetails into that is why is your testosterone so high? Did you have PCOS? What was the precipitant for removing your ovaries? That's a pretty drastic surgery for such a young woman. I would imagine there's a good reason, but just not a reason that's entirely clear to me right now. What do you think, Melanie? Oh, I thought that was absolutely amazing and comprehensive. And that was one of the takeaways I really took away from reading your book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, was the difference with fasting in premenopausal and postmenopausal women. And where do you think this idea, because people ask this a lot or say this, that there are negative consequences for postmenopausal, but have you seen that? I mean, would the concern be, I guess, like sarcopenia and not getting enough protein? I'm just wondering where this idea is coming from. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a degree of fear mongering. This is why I'm not a fan of OMAD. And and that may upset people, but I'm going to just say it. You just can't get your macros in. And, And once you're going through perimenopause and a menopause, physiologically, we are just much more at risk for muscle loss. And the way that you need to think about how important, and I, Gabrielle Lyon has been on your podcast, she's been on my podcast, she's a really close friend. I tell her all the time that her work completely changed everything that I talk about. But it, you want to think about muscles as a glucose reservoir. They're critically important for being metabolically healthy. And if as you are losing muscle and that's being replaced by fat, so I always talk about the fillet, which is young muscle. So Melanie has young muscle. So Melanie is like a big fillet. And I'm 51. So my muscles, if I don't work really hard, are going to look like a ribeye. And a ribeye is delicious, but we want to be a fillet for as long as we can be. And I'm not talking about aesthetics. I'm talking about musculature. It's so important. And so you know, the concern I get is when postmenopausal women, perimenopausal women are just bucking this trend of, you know, I'm only hungry for one meal a day and that's all I eat. And I just have to remind them one of the reasons why you're not more hungry is you are starting to lose lean muscle mass. And as Gabrielle says, you're not overfed, you're undermuscled. And so it's really important to understand that I think a lot of the concerns and fear about menopausal women is largely a byproduct of this concern that they are going to lose muscle mass if they're not eating at least two meals a day. We're not talking about six meals a day or 10 meals a day. We're talking about two meals a day so that you can get enough protein in your diet. The other thing that I think is important to kind of note is that we're de facto less tolerant of stress as we head into perimenopause and menopause. It's a byproduct of the loss of progesterone from our ovaries as our adrenals are kind of stepping in to help support our body, we are just not as stress resilient. That doesn't mean we can't manage stress. We don't manage it as well. And so I I think on a lot of levels, there's this concern that if women head into their 40s and 50s and beyond, and they're over fasting, over restricting, not exercising or doing the wrong types of exercise, that they can put themselves at risk for, you know, a lot of inflammation, a lot of bodily stress. But I sometimes feel like menopausal women have an easier time because they don't have to deal with the factors of a menstrual cycle and follicular phase and luteal phase. I would say men and menopausal women can sometimes have the easiest time fasting of all because they don't have to worry about this 
biology of procreation and conception and fertility and infertility that younger women have to worry about. But I, but I do think it's a huge problem. In fact, I'm not going to say this person's name, but there's a person who just had a book come out and they love to fear monger about women and and fasting. And so I, I've had to have this discussion quite a bit. And, and I don't want anyone to perceive that if you're sleeping well and you're dialing in on your nutrition and you're managing your stress and you're fasting for your cycle and you're not over-exercising that fasting can't be a part of or eating less often can't be part of your strategies that you use to feel good about navigating whatever stage of life you're in. So I I think a lot of that comes from well-meaning people who don't really know what's going on. That's my feeling. I cannot agree more. It's actually kind of similar or kind of relates to the findings, speaking of what we were talking about earlier with protein, on protein and longevity. And, you know, there are so many people, researchers and such like Dr. Walter Longo, who I've had on the show. He's actually been on this show and he's been on the biohacking podcast, but he and people in his sphere are very much pro low protein for longevity up until like, I think age 60, and then you need higher protein. And so I I think that does relate to everything Cynthia was talking about, about when you are at that older age and the the more difficulty it is to create and maintain muscle. Women in particular really need the higher protein when they're older. I don't think that should be lumped in with the fasting, which I think can kind of happen. It just might be like Cynthia was saying that you need a longer window to get in that adequate protein intake. If you're not like me, where where I eat all the protein. The unicorn, the unicorn. But I think that's one of the reasons why I love podcasting with you is we really speak to such a wide age range of women. And I think that's really important because if we were both 50 somethings or if we were both 30 somethings, we would not necessarily totally represent our demographic, right? Yeah, exactly. It's funny before I even started the show, like way back way back. I remember like brainstorming about what did I want the show to look like. And at first I was like, oh, I want to like co-host with somebody like my age. And it'll be like two girls having like wine night, like two young people. But when I met Jen, I was like, oh, this is actually like much more appropriate because it's just so much more helpful to to give like the, the broad perspective. And then it's even better when we're friends as well. So it's all, it's all the good things. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's important, you know, for people to understand that there's a genuine camaraderie here. And so we can both benefit from our own experiences. Like my kids know who Melanie is. And, you know, when we talk about Melanie's eating window and her sleeping habits and how different we both are. And I was like, that's the beauty of it is that there's listeners who very likely, you know, there might be someone who has a long, you know, evening eating window and stays up really late. And I'm probably, I I think it's only when, when I was traveling in Europe that we overlapped at the same time. Like we were awake for the longest stretch of time at the same time. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. And it's funny. I get DMs from people Because I I do think my approach is very rare, but there are, I know you guys are out there who actually do it very similar to me and quite a few people DM me and are, (laughs) they're just like, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone in my crazy, you know, late night feast every night. So we are out there, but it definitely doesn't work for, for everybody. That is for sure. 
Friends, I'm about to tell you how you can get 50% off a product that has truly changed my life. Do you experience stress or anxiety or chronic pain? Do you have trouble sleeping at least once a week? If you do, trust me, you are not alone. I personally have explored so many avenues for how to have a healthy relationship with stress and finding the world of CBD oil has been absolutely incredible for that. After doing more and more research, I realized just how incredible the health benefits of CBD are. CBD regulates your cannabinoid system, kind of like an adaptogen, making you feel better naturally. It's not addictive. It's not a crutch. Basically, it's just helping your body function better when it comes to stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. I take it daily for my mood and the effects are profound. In fact, I even got robbed last year and I went from crying with stress and anxiety to taking some feels and laughing. I said to my mom, mom, see how effective this is. Due to all of its health benefits, we knew we wanted to partner with a CBD company for the podcast, but I have very stringent criteria. You guys know this. So many brands approached us and I kept just saying, nope, because nothing fit all of my criteria. I wanted CBD oil that was full spectrum, tested for purity, organic, made with MCT oil as the carrier, and that I actually experienced benefits from. That's a pretty tall order to fill. We said no to a lot of brands and then feels came along and it was meant to be. I personally tried it out and started seeing massive effects on my sleep and stress. Feels is so easy to take. You can just put a few drops under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. I truly do feel it within minutes. Of course, it is important to remember that CBD works differently for everybody based on your own unique cannabinoid system. So you might need to work to find your perfect dose. Experiment over the course of a week or so, and you may find that you need more or less depending on the effects that you're looking for. I'm also super grateful because they have an incredible offer for our audience. You can start feeling better with feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash ifpodcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash ifpodcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash ifpodcast. When you get that offer, you'll be joining the Feels community and you'll get Feels delivered directly to your doorstep every month. You'll save money on every order and of course you can pause or cancel anytime. So definitely try it out for the first month with our code for 50% off and see how it works for you. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. All right, shall we answer one more question? Absolutely. So this is Mary, prescription meds breaking fast. Hello, I have just begun IF. So her eating is either 19.5 for two days or 20 slash four. Today, I've long abstained from between meal eating. So this was a fairly easy transition for me. I am determined to have clean fast. However, I saw a comment today on Facebook regarding melatonin and the word was that it does contain sugar. So realistically breaks the fast. I have a long list of prescription meds. So far, I've looked at four that are must-haves and they all have that same ingredient. My feeding window is 1230 to 430. I can take my evening pills right at 430 and some of my AM pills right at 1230, but some must be taken 12 hours apart. My question is, if I take the must-haves when I wake up, does that wreck my clean fast? Eager to hear. I want to do this right. Thank you for your time, Mary. All right, Mary. Thank you so much for your question. So something to clarify, because I can see how this can happen. You talked about how you heard melatonin and it contains sugar. And so it breaks the fast. And maybe this goes without saying, but with something like melatonin, which is not a prescription, there are many brands of melatonin and they do not all contain sugar. So melatonin does not 
equal sugar. It does not require sugar to be taken. So for melatonin, for example, you can find a melatonin that is fast friendly. We love melatonin from MD Logic, for example. So definitely check them out. You can use the codes Melanie Avalon or Cynthia to get a discount on that. I know Cynthia in particular has really benefited from, from that melatonin. So that's supplements like non-prescriptive supplements. You can usually find a version that is clean, fast, friendly, especially when it's not a prescription because there's normally lots of versions of it. When it comes to prescription medications, so if you have to be taking your prescription medications, you have to be taking your prescription medications. Some of them might contain ingredients that break the fast like she has found out. I'd be curious what she found in it that was... I'm, I'm wondering what the sugar ingredient that she's thinking. I'm wondering if it's something... I'm just wondering what it is exactly. There is an option. So there are a few things. One, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but this is actually an option. You can actually get a lot of prescription medications compounded. I actually do. So if you have a compounding pharmacy that you like and can work with, they can often make compounded versions of your medication with the exact fillers that you want or even no fillers. It's not always a possibility. And sometimes if it's a possibility, it's like extremely expensive. So then it's not really a possibility. But for some of the medications, it is a possibility. So I've done that in the past for things. If that's not the case and you need to go with the traditional prescription form, There are a lot of generic versions of a lot of prescription medications, so you can look up the prescription and you can try to find the one that is the most, quote, fast-friendly. It does take a little bit of detective work. I'm thinking of like little detective emoji in my head, but that is an option and you can talk with your doctor if you want a specific generic version prescribed. All of that said, if you need to take the prescription medication and you cannot find a clean, fast-friendly and you cannot get it compounded it's okay. (laughs) You have to take your medications when you have to take them. It's not like this is actual food. I'm not giving a green light to taking in minute amounts of sugar or anything like that in general. But when it comes to medication, you have to take your medication. Don't stress about it. It will be very minimal. If anything, those are my thoughts on medication. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. 
And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. Cynthia. The irony is I have a, I have 45 cohort going right now and we had our first group call and that was the first question that I was asked today. And and here's the thing. If you have to take a medication, you have to take a medication, period. Like there should be no stress about does it break your fast? Does it not break your fast? I'm always very transparent and talk about the fact I take now compounded thyroid medicine and I take that during my fasting window and that does not break my fast. Now, the issue with generics, and people may not know this, but you can get these tremendous variances. So generics, you can get sometimes like a 20% variance. So as an example, before I was taking compounded progesterone, I would sometimes wonder why some nights I'd sleep really well, and then some nights I wouldn't. My functional med doc actually pointed out, well, you realize you probably remember this, but for generic medications, even though it's a bioidentical, you still have this variance. And so I would just state that So sometimes the trade medications that you pay a little more for, and by no means am I telling people to break their budget to do this, but if you feel like you don't do as well on a generic, just understand it can be 20% different than the trade product. I had a lot of women, especially my thyroid patients that would tell me they would not take generic Synthroid. They only took regular Synthroid because they had intolerances. I had patients on antihypertensive, so medications for their blood pressure, same thing. We're all individuals, but please do not let the concern about breaking a clean fast be the reason why you you perceive that you have to kind of do all these different things to make this work. Now, there should be no sugar in melatonin. And if there is, then I would definitely look for another option. I speak very openly that 
The two options I use are Sandman, which that's a whole other special conversation about that medicate that supplement. But the MD Logic Melatonin is more efficacious, meaning it's stronger than the Designs for Health product I'd been using for several years. And I even used on myself as well as my patients. So MD Logic's one capsule of MD Logic was equivalent to three three of the designs for health sustain release. So to give you an idea, it's very cost effective. And I'm not sharing that to sell everyone on that brand, but just to share, that's what works for me. Sandman is a per-rectal melatonin, but it's also largely cost prohibitive for the average person. I probably use it like twice a month. But with that being said, please don't let that be a concern. Now, if you know your supplement has sugar in it, like there was a woman in my other group who had a product that had 40 grams, four zero, four gram, 40 grams of sugar and like 30 grams of carbs. And I was like, first of all, you need to throw that in the garbage. And what supplement? Yeah, there were gummies. And I said, okay, well, like a gummy is going to be full of sugar because it's going to be, you know, soft and anyway, whole separate conversation. But the point of what I'm sharing is we want to try to find the cleanest options that are out there. Things without gluten and dairy and grains and soy. I mean, just be diligent when you're selecting supplements to try to find really high quality products. Yeah, that's that's my rant. But please don't let concerns about your medication breaking your fast keep you from taking medications that you were prescribed and that you need. So that's so fascinating. So I know you said you've seen it in hypertensive medications as well. Do you find it is more the hormonal supplements where that's an issue or is it just across the board? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I... Many years ago, when I was taking oral contraceptives, I remember when I was a student at Hopkins, you know, I had this one brand of oral contraceptives, and I also had mild, like, phenotype PCOS, which is, I had no idea why I had these crazy wild periods. Well, it was because I had PCOS, and that's why initially I went on the pill. And so the student health center was like, oh, we've got the generic version of what you're taking. I went on the generic and gained 10 pounds, and I remember them saying, like, oh, there's nothing different in this. And then I remember talking to my faculty and they were like, generic is exactly that. They only have to have like 80% of the formulation the same. Legally? Yeah. And you can have like different fillers. And so there's lots of things that happen with these medications that I used to say, some people do fine with the generics. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with generics, but I think there are definitely people who are much more sensitive to additional fillers and different formulations of medications. And so that's where I think it's important to just have the conversation. If you're doing fine on what you're taking, great. If you're not, investigate what other options are available. Wow. It's interesting because I had sort of vaguely wondered that in general about the generics, but I hadn't really like looked into it. Yeah. Up to 20%. Mm, That's concerning. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's very valuable information. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. It might be a little depressing for everyone to hear, but that, that is, uh, I actually, and the irony is one of my, pharmacist friends and one of my doctor friends just happened to say that to me the other day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot that. It's so true. It makes completely sense. Wow. 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 Well, thank you. You're welcome. So for listeners, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode, which are going to have a lot of links as well as a full transcript, will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 286. And then you can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon and Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. All right. 
Well, well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.